Wonderful job, y'all. Thank you so much for using your gifts for us. If you have your Bible, please open to the book of Genesis 22. I'm getting used to talking fast. I promise you again, if you listen fast, I'll talk fast. We'll be done fast. All right, you do your part, and I will do my best to do my part. Thank you so much. A lot went into today. I'm so grateful for the, the men who prepared all this. Grateful for you ladies. We honored you. Thank you for the wonderful women. Uh, I've heard more than once today that the men are so thankful that Mother's Day is only once a year. We, we praise God for that. Uh, men were up cooking and running generators all weekend, keeping the power going. Men were changing diapers in the nursery. And so thank you so much for all that you've done. That was not an easy task. I saw some of it. Look tough. <laughs> if we're not careful, we come to the conclusion that life is to be one that glides along above any interference with health, with happiness, and with prosperity. We might even consider these things to be rights that are owed to us by God. But when something comes in and disrupts that calm stability, we begin to wonder, why has God allowed this to happen to me? Why am I struggling in my life? And every one of us, we've had times like that throughout our experiences. God, why is the one who I love so dearly fighting this terrible disease? God, why are my finances in the shape that they're in? Why are we struggling every single day just to pay the bills? God, why are my children rebellious? I see these other families and they look happy, but my family is not happy. There's so much rebellion. There's so much hardship. Why are we struggling in this way? And we could go on and on and on, but I want to propose to you this morning that we adjust our expectations and come to a new definition of normal. We cannot expect stability and security to define normal because we live in a fallen world. Normal, as if this crowd fits normal anyway, is not the smooth gliding monorail, but rather it is the ride of a roller coaster. I was thinking back this week of a few years ago, we took the youth to Six Flags. And I was driving the bus, and there's a busload of kids, and they're all talking about the rides that they want to experience at Six Flags. Talking about the Titan and talking about Mr. Freeze. And so finally they come up to the front and they said, Case, what are you looking forward to riding? And I said, well, the mini mine train is my speed. <laughs> mini mine train has one heel, and then it just kind of glides around. But the young people, they know the art of peer pressure. That sinful art, and they kept pushing and pushing. Ryan, you remember? And they kept saying, Case, why don't you come ride the Titan with us? And if you don't know, the Titan is 36,825 feet tall. That's really how tall it is. It travels at a speed of 785 miles an hour. But because I was concerned with what they might think of me, I gave in. And as me and Brittany waited in line, and the kids were all excited, and I'm just I'm just nervous. I'm just, and all of a sudden, you know, you get to the front and everything's fine until they bring that lap bar and they just cinch it up tight. And they tell you this, suck it in. And so you and they, they strap you down. And the, the scary part is in that moment, you cannot leave. I tried. You can't pull it up. You cannot get out. You are, you are stuck. And I'm going to be honest with you. I am a praying man. And so when that lap bar came across my lap, I began to pray. 
And I said, Lord, if you will get me out of this alive, I will do anything that you want me to do. And then the roller coaster starts going up. It starts making that ascent. It's climbing the hill, and it makes that sound click, 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 click. And here's, here's the point of this. I noticed that while I was sitting there in a cold sweat, just hanging on for dear life, going up the hill, the kids were just smiling. And they got their phones out. I mean, we're way up in the, in the plane area, and they got their phones out, and they're taking selfies. And I'm just thinking, what are you doing? Don't you know that we're about to die? <laughs> This thing could come off the track and we're all going to die and you're taking a selfie and you're smiling. Now, what is the difference that separates them from me? The difference is to realize that someone is in control even if we're not in control. You see, there's this, there's this point of faith that says, you know what, even if I'm not in control, even if I'm going through difficulties in life, even if I'm going through the highs and the lows, the valleys, the hills, the twists, the turns, the flips, no matter what I'm going through in life, I can relax and I can have peace because nothing is out of the control of God. And so I want you to realize that there are going to be difficulties in life. Life is not a monorail. Life is not a smooth ride. But in the journey of life, with all the flips and the dips and the twists and the turns, it is God who holds us closely. And so I want to show you this morning a man who went through the roller coaster ride, but he stood in faith. And so we see that in Genesis 22, and we're going to just remain close to the text, see what the Lord has for us this morning. So look at uh, chapter 22, verse 1. The Bible says, it starts off, it says, after these things. Now, we can keep going, but we must put the story in the context a little bit. Because you see, when it says after these things, it's pointing back to chapter 21. That's how that works, isn't it? 21, then 22. In chapter 21, the most momentous, most exciting, most exhilarating event has happened in the life of Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 21, they have finally been blessed with their son Isaac. It took 25 years for God to bless them. And they have this son, Isaac, and it is the climax of their life. It is the fulfillment of the promise and the covenant of God. It was a miracle that only God could do. Remember, Abraham was a hundred years old. Now, at my house, I'm 33, and I've got a one-year-old, and sometimes I feel too old. Can you imagine being a hundred years old and having a baby in the house? Well, that's what the Bible tells us happened with Abraham. And then the Bible also tells us that his wife was barren. She was unable to have children. It was physically impossible. But I'll remind you that God is not bound by our limitations. And so God blesses in chapter 21, and they conceive, and they give birth to Isaac. And so they are singing at the top of their lungs, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Life is going swell. Life is going perfect. Everything that they have dreamed of in life has come to fruition. But then it says, after these things, and it says, God tested Abraham. In testing, one is testing a value, a quality, or an attribute. Something is being stretched to its limits. 
That's a good time for a mama to say amen because you feel like that sometimes, don't you? Being stretched to your limits. I heard about a, I thought it was funny, I don't know if you will. I heard about a mama who got on a bus one day. And she got on the bus and the bus driver opened the door and the bus driver looked over and, and said, my goodness, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. Lady didn't know what to say, so she goes back to the back, and she sat down, and there was a, a man sitting beside her, and she said, I cannot believe he said what he said. I was so insulted. Can't believe it. And the man said, well, you go tell him what you think. Let him have it. Tell him he cannot speak to you like that. And here, I'll hold that monkey for you. <laughs> there was a, oh, we don't have time for, there's another one. Joe, y'all got time for a good joke. There was another, a little boy went up to his father and said, Dad, what is it to be a man? The dad thought for a moment and said, well, son, a man is one who works sun up to sundown. A man is one who provides for the family. A man is one who sacrifices, who does what needs to be done. Little boy said, gee, Dad, one day I hope to be the dad that mom is, or the man that mom is. <laughs> We're talking about being tested, something that is stretched to its limits. And so the Bible says that God comes and he begins to test Abraham and look in the text and he said to him Abraham and he said here I am he said take your son your only son Isaac whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you what a test and my thought is this why does God ask Abraham to do this and some say, well, maybe it's to strengthen the faith of Abraham. It could certainly do that. Maybe it's to give Isaac firsthand experience of God, that God is a God of power, not just a God that he has heard of, but to see the power of God firsthand. Maybe it's to show that God was correct in picking Abraham as the father of the nations. But if we stay close to the text, which we should, it is because God wants to know that the strength of Abraham's faith is not in his blessings, but it is in his guide. God wants to know that Abraham has not followed simply because he has received good gifts, but rather because he is totally in love with God. And so it says that the Lord tested him. He is asked to demonstrate his faith. And he's asked to demonstrate it by sacrificing the most important thing in his life. The child that he has longed for. The child of the covenant. The child of the promise. The child which will allow him to be the father of many nations. And I wonder when he hears this, what's going on in the mind of Abraham. Many of you, your parents, I've got three children, two boys and a little girl, and I would do anything in the world to protect them from harm, to keep them safe, anything. I cannot imagine the pain that he's receiving in this moment. I can't imagine. You say, well, he's done some stuff in the past. He left his home, but every time he has followed God in the past, there was a, a promise attached to it. It was a bad news, good news. Abraham, if you leave your home, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many nations. This is the first time there is the call of God, but there's no flip side to it. There's no promise to balance the loss. There's no covenant to offer motivation. There's no good news to offset the bad news. 
There's nothing to balance it out. It is simply, are you going to be obedient? Are you going to do what I'm asking you to do? Have you been following me for personal gain? Or are you really in love with me? And the same question needs to be asked of you and of me this morning. Why do we follow God? Do we follow because we believe he's going to bless us? He's going to keep us healthy and he's going to keep us happy and he's going to make sure we have money in the bank? Or do we follow because we love him? Because we love him. Because we're devoted to him. Because we are dedicated to him. God wants to be sure that his faith is not driven by what he will receive, but it's out of his commitment to God. And so the text continues, verse 3, and it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Isn't that mind-blowing to you? Here we see the call of God. Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. In the very next verse, it says that Abraham rose early the next morning and he set out on the mission. I want to know what happened between that. There's a night between that, and I can just picture that Abraham laid in bed and he did not sleep one wink that night. He tossed and he turned and he said, God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? What am I going to tell my wife? How am I going to take my son, who I love so much, and offer him as a sacrifice? We don't see that, but I can guarantee you it happened. All we see in the text is complete obedience. He rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he set out for the trip. Verse 4, and on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Have you ever wondered why God sent him on this three-day journey? I have. God, why'd you send him on this three-day journey? Do you know why I think it is? I think it's so it's not a knee-jerk reaction. You ever had something that you had to do and you knew it wasn't going to be fun? And so what do you do? You do it as quickly as you can. You just run through it as fast as you can. You just want to get it over with. Abraham can't do that. Abraham is walking side by side with Isaac, day one, day two, and day three. He's looking into his eyes. He's talking with him. He's communicating with him. He's sleeping beside him at night. And so God is making it where it's not a reaction on the part of Abraham, but rather it is a decision. God is giving him the chance to make the decision that I am going to follow you. I am going to be faithful to what you tell me to do regardless of what it costs. And for three days, they're making this journey. Now look at verse 5. Stay with me. You're doing good. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. This is free This is the first time that worship is used in the Bible. You might circle that. Remember that. It's not talking about a song. It's talking about a life of sacrifice. He said, we're going to go, we're going to worship, and we will come back to you. Now, how does he say we're going to come back to you? What, What is he thinking? Is he delusional? Has he lost his mind? I say no. I say that Abraham is living by faith. 
Abraham knows the character of God. Abraham knows the covenant of God. Abraham knows the promise of God. And even though he does not understand why he's going through this difficult test, he says, I still trust God. We're still going to come back. Now, Hebrews tells us that he believed that Isaac would be raised from the dead. We see that over in Hebrews. But regardless of that, what we see is a man of faith. And so he says, we're going to go, we're going to worship, and we will return. Living by faith is not easy. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but what about the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac had probably been thinking about this for some time. He knew the way that the offering would take place, and he sees the elements needed, but there's no lamb. And so finally he says, Dad, we're going to make this sacrifice, but I don't see an animal. What are we going to sacrifice? How is this going to work? This is not making sense to me. In verse 8 it says, And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the text continues. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now give me just a second here. I realize that most of us in this room, we have heard this passage hundreds of times. But I want you to feel it for just a moment. Abraham takes his son and he places him on the altar. He puts a rope around him. Now, we're not given the details, but can you imagine the conversation that's taking place? Dad, what are you doing? Dad, why are you putting me on this stone? Dad, this doesn't make sense. And as a father, I'm thinking, what is Abraham saying to his son? What would I say to mine? What I say, listen, listen, God told me that I had to do this. We must be obedient. We must be faithful to God. I know it doesn't make sense, but you've got to just trust me. This is what has to happen. Is he explaining himself? That no doubt there are tears from both, and there's weeping, and there is sobbing. But as the event is unfolding, what, what's happening? Well, what's going on? What's the conversation? If there's, there's words being expressed. Is he just saying, I love you? I know it doesn't make sense, but Isaac, I love you. I love you. I love you. I, I, that's what I'm thinking he's saying over and over. I love you, Isaac. I know you don't understand. I know you don't get it, but I love you. And the Bible says he, he takes him, and he, he, I'm picturing he puts his hands around him, and he grabs the cold blade in his hand, and he feels that cold, and he feels the sharpness, and he embraces Isaac, and he says, I love you, my son. I love you, my son. And he, he puts that blade up to his neck. And he's thinking, how am I going to do this? He doesn't want the pain to linger. He wants to move as quickly as he can. And so at the last moment, he flexes his muscles, and he's getting ready. 
It says in verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. He's getting to the very last detail, the very last moment, and he's getting that knife closed, and the tears are coming. I love you, my son. I love you, my son. And he begins to pull that knife through his neck. And then some of the sweetest words in the Bible in verse 11. It says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know. This is the whole point right here. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I know where your loyalty lies. You have proven it to me. You have shown it firsthand. I know that there is nothing that you value more than God. He says, I know that you fear me. That means to reverence him as sovereign, to trust him implicitly, to obey him without question. And here's the whole question for each of us this morning. Is that the kind of faith that you have? We don't have time to go through all the, the faith points. Here's the, here's the whole thing in a nutshell. We're doing the nutshell today, okay? The whole nutshell is simply this. A true faith is one that is total. A true faith is one that totally surrenders. A true faith is one that is totally obedient. And I want you to notice, we talk about having faith as though it's a noun. And we talk about, I've got faith. And for many, the extent of our faith is that we come and we sit in the pew and then we leave. That is not biblical faith. Folks, listen to me. In the Bible, faith is action. We see it in this text. Look in Hebrews. You will see that faith is action. Faith is a verb. When we are totally committed to the things of God, it is going to totally transform our life. And what the Lord demands out of you and what he demands out of me is that he is above anything else. In our lives, even our families and our children and our hobbies and all the good things in our life. So I want you to bow your head and I want you to think about this. Think about it in your life. Faith demands all. Faith surrenders all. Where's the faith at in your life? Uh, it's been said that faith is simply doing what God tells you to do regardless of the circumstances because God said it and his word is true. I want you to realize that the reason that God uses some people is not because they don't have your baggage, but it is because they stepped out in faith. And so where is God asking you to step out in faith? We can talk about having faith, we can talk about maintaining faith, but faith leads to action. If I'm a man of faith, or if you're a man of faith or a woman of faith, it means that people will see you and they will see the way that you respond to the roller coaster ride of life. Faith points to Jesus. God provided a ram in the thicket. And so the lamb's blood was shed. That lamb pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, the one who takes away our sin. I wonder if, if maybe you've never heard that. 
I wonder if maybe the Lord is calling you to salvation and for you the step of faith means to step out from where you are to come and to talk to one of us and to find out what salvation is all about. For some of you, your step of faith may be that you've been visiting this church a long time, but the Lord is saying now is the time. Now's the time to plug in. Now's the time to plant your family right here and to get involved in ministry. And so the Lord is calling you to step out in faith and join this church. Maybe you look at your life and there is something that God called you to do a long time ago. A a gift that you need to utilize. He gave you the gift of teaching, the gift of service, the gift of whatever it is, but you're not using it. You have not stepped out in faith. What does God want of you? You want to know how to be used for the kingdom of God? It's when we get out of our comfort zone and we follow him. And what this church needs to be is a people of faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Lord, we thank you for this time. Pray that you've been honored, that you have been glorified. Lord, I pray if there's any decision that needs to be made here this morning, God, that our response will be obedience. We'll do whatever you ask us to do, God, that we've realized this morning that you are not okay being second place. You're not okay being a part of our life, but God, rather, you must be our everything, that we must love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Lord, that we would be totally committed to you. Let that to be true of us at Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Now, Lord, would you have your way during this time We ask all this in your name. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing together. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace
Just as they play through, would you just bow your head? We're not going to linger, but just one more time, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to have his way in your heart, in your life. Man, if you're here this morning and you're a child, man, can you imagine the joy in the kingdom of God to be saved and the joy in your mother's heart? If God's speaking to you, I'm going to ask you to step out and come forward. And uh, we're going to sing one more verse. If no one comes, we close the invitation. Father, thank you today. We've heard the word of God. Lord, we've heard it straight. It's clear as a picture. And I pray today there are those in this place that if they left here this afternoon and something happened to them physically, Lord, they spend eternity separated from you. God, today could be their day of salvation. Would you impress upon them? It's only by your Holy Spirit. Lord, there are others that need to make decisions. Would you, Lord, just have your way in every one of our lives? And we give you the praise, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more verse. Come on, right now. I need thee every hour, most people said amen thank you so much for being a part of this service today uh just before we go uh, would you pray for myself brother steve snyder we're leaving just soon after we eat lunch going to cord cordell georgia it's about a 12-hour drive or so driving straight through there we'll spend three or four hours sleep and then we'll pick up brother lyndon longoria in the morning at nine and bring him back to a rehab place in Lafayette, Louisiana, and be back here in time to eat supper tomorrow night. So you pray for us, amen. Pray for Steve as he drives and all. Uh, Brother Lyndon's a dear friend of this church, been preaching the word of God faithful. And uh, so he's had a stroke there in Georgia. He's good enough now to, to travel back nowhere near where he needs to be, but he needs to be in a rehab center. So we're going to make that possible. So pray for us. No services tonight. If you want the rest of Brother Case's notes, email him and he can get them to you. Amen. But no services tonight. Would you join hands across the aisle? My goodness. Let's sing that chorus.